Welcome to the Journey Church Podcast. It's our hope that the next few moments lead you closer to Jesus, encourage you to grow, and equip you to exist for those not yet here. If you enjoyed today's message, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that we can bring you fresh content every week as you continue in your walk with Christ. Last week of our sermon series, The Good Fight, very rarely will we do a seven-week or eight-week series on anything because it's hard to stay concentrated for, for that long. But we thought this, this message was that important. Uh, we, we, we are trying to teach our church, ourselves, we're in a battle. Like you, The Bible says you have an enemy for your soul. And a lot of times, we don't take that, we take that for granted. We don't really pay attention to Satan. We kind of just go along in our lives. Yet, a lot of us would agree with all sorts of, you know, problems and you know, situations and frustrations and all these things that are bothering us. And we don't give the devil enough credit. I'm not talking about giving him too much power, but I need you to understand the significance of the spiritual realm in your life. And so uh, we open this up. Ephesians chapter 6 says you're in, you're in a battle. You're in a, you're in a fight, right? And uh, Paul tells us, here's your, here's your spiritual armory that you have. And I want to kind of refresh your memory if you haven't been here so you understand where we've been as we end today. But he says this. He says, stand, there, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist. Very first, you know, piece of equipment, truth, right? I want you to also visualize this with me. You're getting ready to go to battle. You put on the belt first, very first thing. Second thing, he says, uh, with your breastplate of righteousness in place. So we're going to cover up and protect our, our vitals, our heart. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace. So the third part is your, your shoes. You're going to make sure you have the right, the right shoes. Your shoes represent peace. Uh, in addition to all this, make sure you have your shield of faith, you know, to protect from the, the enemy's fiery darts, it says, fiery arrows. L- last week, he says, one more, make sure you take the helmet of salvation. So picture it with me. You have a belt, breastplate, shoes, shield, and helmet. Everything you have on is for defense. Now, I grew up playing sports. My coaches lied to me. They said defense wins championships. Garbage. Defense is important. Michael Jordan wins championships. Offense wins championships. How many of you know if that's all you had, if you were going to battle, physical battle, you'd be in trouble? You have a great armor, right? But you're left defenseless. You're going to protect, protect, protect. You're going to cower, cower, cower. But I don't think the Bible says that God gives us a spirit of fear, does it? The Bible says God makes us strong, gives us a spirit of courage, that we're not supposed to run from the fight, but we're actually supposed to go into the fight. So it would be unfair if all we had was defense, we need a little offense. So what does he give us as our offense? Just one weapon. Just one thing for offense. What does he say? Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 17. Take the helmet of salvation. And one more, take the sword of the spirit. So you know I had to get a sword. You know I had to get a sword. Right? My wife said, why do you have that? I said, because the Bible said I can. Right? And so it's been sitting in her office all week. She said, that's dangerous. I said, exactly. Right? This is the sword. This is a replica from Amazon of what the Roman soldier sword would have looked like. Years ago, I preached on the sword of the spirit, and I got the wrong sword. I need to apologize. I was not biblically correct. I got this long medieval-looking sword. It's all I could find on Amazon, get to me shipped in time. So I had time this time to do some research, and this is called a gladius, a gladius. 
And Gladius was created by the Roman army. It was double-edged. It was sharp. You could pretty much hit with any part of it. You could just imagine yourself doing it. Some of you want to later on. I'll let you borrow it for a fee. And so, because uh, it's my sword. But, uh, but it's made for close combat. It's not made for far back. Here's the sword. Be afraid, right? Here I am. It's made for when you get close in battle to do damage. And what he is trying to tell us is you're not called to play on the, the back lines, but God's going to send you into the front lines where the battle is most fierce. You've been equipped with your armor, your defense, but let me make sure you have a good offense. What's the offense? It's the Word of God. How many of you know for a, for a sword to be effective, it has to be swung? I don't know if you grew up in my day and age. You know, Bill, I was born in 1980, but I remember somewhere in 1990 noticing that a lot of dads and probably moms had areas where they paid bills. My dad had an area in, right in our kitchen where he would pay bills, and he had a bunch of mail that would sit there, and he had this little sword. You remember this little, I don't know why they made these, as if you couldn't open up. You know, they talk about millennials and Gen Zers as if we're so weak, right? And, but they had a sword to open up their mail so they didn't get paper cuts. Anybody remember that? How many of you chased one of your siblings around with that at one point? <laughs> but some of you, you understand what I'm trying to say. Like, that sword was, was ineffective. We used it to open up mail in my house. But he's trying to let us know, you're going to go into a battle, and you need something more than just your emotions, your reaction, your scream, get away from me, right? Your, your frustration, when you get in battle, don't forget you have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. In fact, I love what it says in, in Hebrew, or Hebrews chapter 4. I love this verse. It says, for the Word of God is alive and active. Some of you that are followers of Christ that are deep into the Word, that you understand the significance of the Bible, would you not agree that's true? That's true. Like You can read something in the Bible a hundred times, and the hundred and first time you read it, something new jumps out at you. That's the only way, by the way, if you do what I do, the only way you can do what I do and do it for a long time is for the Bible to be alive and active. Because if it's not, it's boring and repetitive. You can only say so much and eventually you get frustrated and you leave. But I know that I get to study with the Word or a Bible that is alive and active, that will continue to move with me through life, that God will continue to change what I'm seeing, not change Himself, but change what I'm seeing, equip me with new things, give me new eyes, equip me with new ears. The Bible is alive and active. It's the only book in the history of man like that. It's the only book that can do that. The Bible says it's sharper than any double-edged sword. Once again, it references that, 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 that weapon. It penetrates even to the dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. He's trying to tell us how dangerous this thing is. This thing is a, a weapon of mass destruction, but many of us don't even know we have it. Many of us, it sits stagnant in our closet. We don't understand why we're losing. We don't understand why we're overwhelmed. We don't understand why we continue to be depressed. We don't understand why we continue to struggle. It's because your Bible oftentimes is stagnant. You don't understand how significant it is. And when you don't understand how significant it is, you won't use it. Have you ever experienced something like that in your life? Me and my wife have been married for some years, and so we have our, our roles and our routines, and we kind of have stuff worked out. And so in our family, uh, I am the, the one who sews buttons when they come off. I don't know why I'm the one that does that, but I don't know if that's the only thing I learned in home ec, because I can't cook, right? But I can sew buttons. And so uh, in our marriage, I have sewn buttons from time to time. I wouldn't call myself an expert, but I'm an adequate 
sewer of buttons. And so uh, a few months ago, one of her buttons fell off of her jacket. And she said, can you fix this button for me? To which I said, sure. I went to Joanne's Fabric. I got myself a little homemade sewing kit. Same kit many of you have gotten. It has needles, has threads in it of all different colors. Not expensive. The cheapest one I can find. Let's not get carried away on sewing. And so and I went home and I tried to thread the needle. And something was wrong with these needles. I've never had this problem before in my life. I've always been able to put the thread through the hole of the needle. But for some reason, these needles, the holes were too small and I could not get the thread through the needle. I was so frustrated. I was saying things that I shouldn't have been saying. I was throwing things. I, I, finally, I realized either A, I'm old and I can't find the, you know, where to put it or something is wrong with this needle. So you know what I did? I blamed the needle. And so I went to Johan's fabric again and I walked into a different one because I was embarrassed. And I, and I said, I asked somebody, I said, can you, can you help me? And she said, what? I said, well, my wife needs a, a, a button sewn on her jacket and, you know, I'm the sewer in our family. And so, and I explained to her the whole home ec thing and all that stuff. And I said, can you take me to the aisle where you have real, like, professional needles? And she said, what do you mean professional needles? Well, I said, I have a generic needle. She said, what's wrong with your needle? She said, well, it, you know, it has this, it, it, the hole, I can't, I can't put the thread through and I, and, and, and I can't figure it out and so I need I need a needle with a bigger bigger hole it's, it's the needles problem and so and she took me and she started looking around she said what are you gonna sew and I said I want to sew this button in this this jacket what type of material is it she, I'm like I don't I don't know it's a jacket and so she said well if you get that big needle with that big hole that you're gonna be able to see you're gonna ruin the jacket because it's not for that so you need to use a little needle uh, that you have and I started getting frustrated and I said how am I supposed to get the the, the thread through, through, the, through the, the hole of the needle and she said well there's something called a needle uh, a needle hole threader, right? And I said, what is that? She said, well, what did you get? And I took her and I showed her and I got the box out. And she said, that little piece of silver on top of everything, that's a tool that you use to thread the needle. And I said, for 42 years of my life, because I had assumed that was decorations. And, it, and I, I disposed of it because I'm like, it's annoying and it's in the way. And I never needed it before, but I'm 42. Welcome to middle age. And so she said, here's how you do it. And she put it in and she slid it right through the hole. And lo, lo and behold, it worked. So I went home. And I, my, my, listen, my sewing has gone to a whole nother level. <laughs> I pray for buttons to fall off now, right? Like I did it the other day and I just, I got it out. I was like, I got a needle. Is that what it's called? A needle thread or hole, something, whatever it's called. A tool, right? And, I, and that's what I'm, like some of you, you don't understand how to face the things that you're facing because you don't, you don't realize the tool that you have. Like I, I'm not a cheater. I'm not going to tell you to cheat in school. But all of us have, have, have at one point in our life thought to ourselves, I wish I had a cheat sheet. I wish somebody would just give me the answers to the test. I wish somebody could, could push this along a little further. I wish I had a little help. The Word of God is your cheat sheet. Some of you facing things in your life, you're like, I don't know what the answer is. I'm biting my nails and I'm afraid and I'm depressed. And you have this, this resource at your hands, this sword of the Spirit, the Bible says, and you don't realize it. And the problem is the Bible is a peculiar, a, a peculiar book because you can read it and know it and miss it. And he, he, here's why. The, the amount of Bible that you know is not as important as the amount of response that you show. This is the hard part for us. Not only do I want you to understand that you have the Bible, but I want you to understand this book is different. You can read a good book and be like, hmm, that was good. That was a really good story. 
You can read a self-help book and put a quote up somewhere in your house. You know what I'm saying? We've dealt with the Bible now. Like, I, I was dying. I was getting ready to read, you know, do a, do a message on the Bible. And we've been to Hobby Lobby. And we, we have, from time to time, bought, like, the artistic Bible, you know, verses. And you put them on your wall where that family. And so, and you put them on your, your wall. And the one Bible verse right on top of my steps says, in 1 John 3, 18, it says, Let us not love with words or speech, but with action and truth, right? That is the exact spot that I do most of my sinning while I'm yelling at my kids. The exact spot. Why is your room picked up? Right? And I, I looked at it last night. I'm like, that's bad. I need to move that. Right? <laughs> because the significance of the Bible is not in what you know. You ever meet somebody, you're like, you know everything, but you do nothing. Like, you can quote, literally. Yeah, you, you know the King James people. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> like, they know the Bible. They will quote it. They will tell you how evil the NIV is. And if you read the message, don't even talk to them, right? And they will tell you how perfect it is and how it was designed here and done there. And here's the studies. And they will do all that stuff. Yet you take them out to a restaurant. It's time to tip. They don't tip 15%. They don't talk. Their wife calls in the middle of them quoting scripture. They don't talk nice to their wife. They yell. They don't live with their wife in an understanding way. And I know it says that in the Bible. They're not kind, they're not giving, they're not generous, they don't serve other people, they don't live their life with grace on top of grace, but they know the Bible. Here's the problem with so many Christians, it's not just about what you know in your spirit, it's about the response that you show. You know how I know that? Because it says it in scripture. It's just like this, I can have a sword and never swing it and the sword is not effective. It just looks cool. You guys, some of you guys, you have a sword mounted somewhere, you like to see my sword? Everybody's like, yeah, dude, you're 43, right? It's a replica from, <laughs> from it's a, oh, okay, never mind. And so, you know what I'm talking about. You know the person, right? And so you might be that person. I'm probably going to send me an email after this. And so James 1 says this. Watch what it says. Do not merely, this is really important. Watch what, James is the most, if you never read the Bible and you're like, I, don't, I need practicalness, James, go to James. It's the practical steps to living out your faith. And watch what James, James 1 says. It says, do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. In other words, you can come to church every week and listen and be deceiving yourself. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. Can I, that could be my entire sermon. Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Do what it says. I mean, I, it, this, is, this is one of the most frustrating parts of being a pastor. You're, you're going through church, and the Bible says don't have sex till you're married. Real simple. It's not like a, like a gray area, right? Like we always like to play in the gray now. We're all confused. It's like don't have sex till you're married. Then it says for Christians, you're like, what? and some of you are not Christians. Then it says after you're married, guess what it says to do? Do you know? Have sex. It, the Bible doesn't say, don't have sex. God created sex. It's not like he came back to the garden and freaked out because Adam and Eve figured out something that he did not intend them to do. Right? He made them to do it. But the Bible says, don't have sex till you're married. Then after you have, you're married, be fruitful and multiply. It's super simple. It, it's super easy. Did my mic just something happen? Did my mic just cut out? Or my hearing just changed? I'm getting 42. And so... 
sounds weird all of a sudden. And, 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 and I talk to people, and I'll go through marriage counseling, and I'll go through the Simbus test, and they'll go over the questions. And my favorite part of the, of the, of the Simbus test is the expectations and the answering of the sex life. I love it because the, it'll be, the question will be like, how many times do you expect to have, you know, that a week? And the, the girls and the guys always crack me up. The dude's like twice a day. And I'm like, give me five, brother, right? You're dreaming, but give me five. And, and, and you just, you hear, you hear this and you, and you just go over it. But then, you, then the next question will be like, well, are you, you know, are you abstaining? Are you waiting to get married? And, and a lot of people just, just truth will be like, nah, I'm not. And I love their honesty, but just because you're honest doesn't mean you're not sinning. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? And, you're, and then you ask them, well, you know what? Like, I appreciate your honesty, but do you want the blessing of God in your marriage? Yes, of course. Well, you got to do what it says. You're not the exception to the rule. Do, do what it, don't just listen to the word and deceive yourself. It's not that kind of book. You listen and you do what it says. And then watch what he says. He says, anyone who listens to the word does not do what it says. It's like someone who looks at his face in the mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that God gives, that, that the law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it. I love this part. They will be blessed in what they do. I love that word because that word blessed in scripture means happy. It means peace. It means joy. Now, I don't know about you. Do you know that we're not supposed to live a depressed life? We can go through depressing situations, but depression is not supposed to define our life. Anxiety. It's not, some of you are like, I'm just born into anxiety. No, you were born into sin, but now you're a new creation in Christ Jesus, your Lord. You serve the God who's in control. Anxiety is as a result of your awareness that you're not. So when you come to Christ and you know he's in control, guess what ceases in your life? Anxiety doesn't mean you never struggle with it. I can't tell you how many times I have anxiety, but I, as soon as I have it, I go back to the truth of God. My God's in control. If I was supposed to be in control, we would be in trouble, but he's in control. And I just want to give you a few thoughts. This is maybe the most practical uh, uh, sermon in this because what I want is I want you to begin to develop uh, a habit of reading God's word and doing what it says. I don't want this to be the only time you, you, you hear from God. This is, if this is the only time you hear God speak through Sunday's message, you're, you're missing out. You're, you're going to be starving spiritually. I want you to get to the point, but I also know a lot of you are very new to your faith. Like you just, you just became a believer. And I know the Bible's overwhelming. And so I want to I show you for me, because I didn't start faithfully reading the Bible until I was into my 30s. And I was a pastor already. My relationship with the Bible was, oh, dear God, please give me a sermon. Please give me a sermon. Please give me. I'm going to drop the Bible, and I'll go, okay, there it is, right? <laughs> and I read it for my sermon. But something shifted in my 30s into my 40s, and I began to realize that, that this is good, and I need to study God's word for the sermon because it needs to line up with God's word. But if I don't fill myself up and allow the spirit of God to fill me up and to speak to me, then I'm going to burn out. So no matter what you do and who you are, and I'm just trying to tell you because I grew up in church, but it's not my knowledge of scripture because I don't know if you know this about me or not, but I couldn't stand church when I was a kid. I didn't hear the stories and be like, oh, I believe in God. I loved Adam and, you know, no, no, I was, I was anything but that. 
But the spirit of the living God has changed my heart over, over the years, and he continues to speak to me. And it's the greatest relationship that I, that I have on this side of, of, of eternity. Like, it's an amazing relationship that I have with God through his word. So I want to give you a few thoughts. Number one is this, how to become a doer of God's word. First thing you need to do, you need to understand, is all the information in the world does not often equal transformation. You, you know this. How many of you know right now, Wawa Specialty Coffee is peanut butter fudge. You guys know that? Come on, if you had that, just put your hand in the air like you're worshiping the Lord, right? If you haven't had it yet, go get it as soon as I say amen. It is, I'm talking light. If you don't like peanut butter and, 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 and chocolate, I question you, right? Like I don't know who you are because it's perfect and I go every morning I've been going like for you for a while I didn't get coffee anywhere I'm being frugal with my finances my wife you know put me on a budget all these things but I had to repent the last two weeks because when I saw that was there I started going there every morning and every morning I go there I stand in line and somebody around me is buying cigarettes and they're like seventeen hundred dollars for a pack 1700 I'll be like, and, and on the pack, it says clearly, warning. We've seen the commercials, warning. This causes cancer. You might die. You might do this. And you would think after all those warnings, maybe people would still smoke cigarettes, but they would put them somewhere in the back, not in the very front, like it controls the entire Wawa setup, right? All the information in the world has still not led to people going, I shouldn't smoke. How many of you know sugar is bad for you? You, you know it. You, you watch, you'll watch documentaries on it. It'll be on your feed if you start thinking about it on social media over and over again. You have a friend that has you know, diabetes, very real disease. You have all these things. How many of you this week still went into the store and got something with sugar in it? Don't you dare lie. <laughs> Even though the, 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 it says sugar is bad. Why? Because all the information in the world does not lead to transformation. You see this in scripture, by the way. Judas spends how many years with, with Jesus? Three. Judas is one of 12. He's on the inner circle. He sees Jesus do all sorts of miracles. He sees him walk on water. He sees Jesus heal the, the, the lame, raise the dead, you know, heal, heal little kids. He, he sees Jesus do the miraculous. And when it comes time to betray Jesus, he has no problem doing it. Because all of the information in the world that he saw Jesus do still didn't lead to his heart change. One of my favorite stories in scripture, Luke chapter 10, Jesus takes this on in church people because oftentimes church people are the worst ones. They come and they have truth after truth after truth given to them, yet if you compare their life to unchurched people, they're exactly the same. In fact, I got a bigger problem with the church people acting like the sinners than the sinners acting like the sinners. Amen. Sometimes we talk so much about, I can't believe they're doing that. And I think to myself, at least they're aligning their, 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 their beliefs with their life. I'm worried about my church, who has the truth, but it's not changing them. And so Jesus takes it on. He talks to this religious guy one day about loving your neighbor. And the guy says, who's my neighbor? He tells a story. There's a priest. It sounds like a joke in the beginning. There's a Levite. And there's a Samaritan. Three guys walk into a bar, right? And so, and he tells this story. He says there's this one guy, he gets beaten one day, uh, and he gets left for dead. And a priest leaves church. That's what he's doing. He's leaving church, and he's going home. He sees him. He steps over him. A Levite leaves church, sees him, and steps over him. He says, but then a Samaritan comes, sees him, takes pity on him, washes his wounds, takes him to a ho hotel, pays his bills. He looks at the guy. He said, who loves their neighbor? He says, the Samaritan. He says, go and do likewise. 
What he's trying to say is you just spent all that time at church. You did all these sacrifices. You did all these prayers. You did all these things. And the very thing you should have been doing because of your religion, you didn't do, which is take care of the guy that was beaten up right in front of you. All the information. Here's the problem with, with us, especially in America. We are addicted to information, are we not? information information let me read a new book let me get a new blog let me listen to a new pastor let me get this i know this because i'm like this let me let me check out this let me get a new saying oh that was good i'll put that on my board i'm gonna say that sometime let me get all this let me buy the t-shirt let me get the cd let information let me get the new podcast listen to that podcast at three times speed because i don't have time to listen to it at normal speed let me just listen 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 because i think that at some point information will change me but information does not necessarily equal transformation in fact, in this church, our goal is not Bible scholars. That's not my goal. Our goal is Bible followers. There's a difference. I want people that are so in tune with the Spirit of God and so obsessed with becoming all that He has called them to be that you immediately hear something because you're going to hear something that you need to change at church. That's why you come to church. You come to church to worship and be changed so that you can be more productive in your faith. Amen? And so when you leave this place, oftentimes you're going to hear something and it's going to be, okay, I'm, it's time for me to do it. It's time for me to change here. It's time for me to make that adjustment in my life. I don't want a Bible scholar here. I want to develop Bible followers in my life. And here's what happens. Information joined with application that leads to transformation. Information. So let me, just, let, me just, let me just work you through this now because this is, okay, well, how do I read the Bible? Num number one is this. First, first thing, which is actually point two, <laughs> is slow down in your study of God's word. S slow down in your study. Do you see what he says? He says a lot of us hear the word and we don't do it and we're like the person who runs away, looks in the mirror and forgets what we look like. Still got something in your teeth. Your hair sticking up in the back. You didn't button your shirt right. You, you, your, your makeup's only halfway done. You missed that thing. You were in such a hurry to get through it that you forgot to do it. He says this. He says, slow down in your study of God's word. And here's the biggest problem with American people. Not only are we addicted to information, but we're addicted to fast information. I need this to be quick. How many of you know beach season is just a few weeks away? How many of you at some point in the last week were like, shoot, and you Googled crash diet, right? Is there a keto on steroids I can do? I want it to be fast. I want my marriage to be healed quickly. I want to apply this and for everything to change in my life overnight. I, I started following the Lord. I need a wife tomorrow, right? Like everything has to be fast, has to be right now, and we do this with scripture. I, I, I love it. I meet somebody, they're like, they're like, I read the Bible every year, right through. I'm like, okay, how? <laughs> like, well, I got this plan, and I, you know, I, I listen to it, and every day I do it. I'm like, that, that's great, or meet the people. I, I love the Bible app with all of my heart, but there's some things on the Bible app that I despise because I know what they create. You know the one thing I despise? I despise that you can have friends and you can share your streak with them. Right? Here's how many days I read the Bible in a row. I read it 14 days. I'm not going to tell anybody. I read Jesus wept, nine of those. Jesus wept is the shortest verse in the Bible. It's the verse I say was my favorite verse when I was a little kid because people used to ask me and I was the son of a pastor. Hey, what's your favorite verse? Jesus wept. 
Jesus wept, right? I didn't even know the story. I didn't know it was the story of Lazarus. I just know Jesus wept, right? And everything is about speed. I read my Bible. I put it on three times the speed because you know some of you do that. I didn't even listen to it, really, because I was on Facebook, but I didn't have time to do both. So I put the play, the app, you know, the guy's voice, and he read it to me today. And I'm so fat. And I did that when I was, you know, doing my yoga and, my, and I was doing jumping jacks at the same time and making my kid breakfast and all these other things. So you need to slow yourself down. Slow down in reading the Word of God. The point is not pace. The point is that you begin to feast in your life on God's Word. This is what feeds you. This is what you eat. This is what you get up every day and apply to your life. In fact, I love, one of my favorite verses in Scripture is Hebrews chapter 12. And it's because I love the word perseverance in Scripture. It's all through Scripture. Perseverance, perseverance, perseverance. But it's also a verse I go to often when I want to quit. And I don't know about you, but I want to quit often. Like often. Like it, there's every, almost every week there's something that I'm like, that's it. I hit my level. It's over. And I go back to Hebrews chapter 12 because I know the word of God and, I, and I've read it over years. And Hebrews chapter 12 says, therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us. You know why I love it? Because it applies perfectly to this verse. What does he say? He says, look intently, which in the Greek means to stoop down. And you can't stoop down and look intently unless you slow down. And it's hard for us to slow down. I want to know the whole Bible tomorrow. I want to know the background. I want to have it all figured out. I go to a home group, and when I go to a home group and they ask questions, the dude over there, he can quote every passage in every translation. And when he prays, he prays for 45 minutes. I can only pray for 13 seconds, and I get stuck. He says, Father God, 500 times in a row, right? <laughs> Like, he just prays, and I feel so inadequate, and I feel like I don't understand, and we get overwhelmed, and we're like, it's too big for me. One of my favorite Bible verses says, do not despise the day of small beginnings. Some of you are very early into your faith. You're just going to step back, and you're going to slow down, and you're going to go, God, I've tried to run really fast on my own and figure everything out on my own, and I, I, it, it was bad, and I messed up, so I'm going to slow down. And I'm going to allow you to speak to me. Let me just give you a few other thoughts. Second thing you're going to do in that, in that process, you're going to quiet down. Quiet down. We don't do well with silence. Did you feel how awkward that got? You can hear everything. When I quiet down, I hear the light fans. They really bother me up here. Some of you hear the person breathing beside you. You literally... Want to hit them in their Adam's apple right now. <laughs> Just what, all right? Chewing. My kids come down from breakfast every day, and they chew so loud, I immediately tell Alexa, play worship music so I don't kill them. <laughs> every day. I'm like, play, play worship. Play Red Rocks worship today. Play this. Play, play, you know, play, play worship. Play, 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 play this. And, and I, hate, I hate quiet because when I'm quiet, I oftentimes have to deal with what's really going on. That's why the Bible talks often about the still, soft voice of the Lord, resting in his presence. We're not good with slowing down, but we're really not good with quieting down. I don't know if you've ever noticed this about your relationship with God, but oftentimes it's one way. You do most of the talking. It's at your pace, in your agenda, in your timing, what you can fit in. I don't know about you, but there's no other relationship in the world that, that can be good besides that one if we treat it like that. 
If you're the only one that talks, if it's only at your time, if you only have this agenda, if you can only meet this long, as soon as you're done talking, you leave. They go to say something, you're like, I'll talk to you later. That's not usually a friendship. Usually they're like, I don't want to hang out with you anymore. But we treat God like this. We're always talking, never listening. And I just want to encourage you. There's a part to read in Scripture. Not only you slow down, but you quiet down in your life to the point where you begin to allow him to speak. I love what Psalms 119 says. It says, I meditate on your precepts and I consider your ways. I'm quiet in your presence and I began to think. And here's just a few, few thoughts for, for you of ways I've struggled in my life with, with quieting down before the Lord. Uh, pride keeps me from doing that. I'm type A, and I don't have time for God to do what he wants to do sometimes. I'll just do it myself. I love the word, I'll just grind it out, right? I'll just carry the weight on my shoulder. I'll just figure out a way. God, you're taking too long. I'm making a way you can come with me if you want. Please bless it. And it's pride in my life. It's pride me thinking, I'm, I'm okay, I can control it, I can set the pace, I can figure it out. Pride gets in the way oftentimes. Let me give you another one that gets in the way. Busyness keeps me from being quiet at God's word. It's not something you squeeze into your life, it's what you need to sustain life. So there's other things in your life that you need to get rid of, that you need to put down. You need to, you need to get rid of the TV that's on or, or, or the distraction that's coming or whatever thing you often are like, I'm so busy, I can't read God's word and do it. Busyness. And let me just give you one other one, laziness. Sometimes I meet people, they drive me crazy, I'm not going to lie. They'll come to me, they want to get counseling. I'm, a, I'm the worst counselor in the world. Right? And the reason I'm the worst counselor in the world is you don't pay me to counsel you, so I don't care if you come back. <laughs> and people come in and they want to, I just cannot, they just want to talk and talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. And you're like, okay, 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 okay. Here's what the Bible says, just go do that. Yeah, but that's like a lot of work. Or sometimes I'll meet somebody and I'll be like, hey, you're struggling with this. Like my wife for years, uh, she, she's, she's told people, listen, you're struggling with anxiety and thought life, battlefield of the mind. Battlefield of the mind. Read Battlefield of the mind. Joyce Meyer. Battlefield of the mind. Write it down, some of you. Some of you struggling. Battlefield of the mind. Battlefield of the mind, though, in the beginning of it, is the most boring book study I've ever done. So oftentimes people will read it, and it's moving too slow for them, and it's overwhelming, and it's too much work, and they're too what? They're too lazy. They want to come back and talk about their problems again. And I'm like, did you do Battlefield of the mind? Well, that was like a lot of work. And I want to tell them, so are you, right? <laughs> You are a lot of work, and you're draining me, and I want to quit, but I'm going to go back to Hebrews where it says, because you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, and sometimes I pray, let me join you right now in this situation. I will join you there, right? Just take me. And so, and it's just, it's late. It just gets in the way. We need to, we need to quiet down in God's presence. Put in the work. Slow down. Let me just give you one more thought. This one's really important. Write down as you read God's word. This is, this is my opinion. Right? I, I'm not, I, I'm not, I, I can't find a verse that tells you when you read the Bible every day, you should write down. But I'm just going to let you, let you know, of all of the habits that I've developed in my life when it came to God's word, writing, writing down as God speaks to me has completely changed my life. And so I, I told you a few years ago, I said, I have, a, I have, a, I have a, a notebook. It's not a journal. Dudes don't have journals. And so it's a notebook, and it's, and it's black because that's biblical. And so... And I use the same notebooks from, from Target. I use the same ones for a decade. I would just 
go there, get a notebook. They discontinued them. And so and no, it wasn't a moleskin. That's way too expensive. And so just a normal notebook, but they just, so now I get it off Amazon. And I just spend time in the Word of God. And then as he's speaking, I'll just write. Sometimes I just write what I'm reading. It's not creative at all. I'm word for word, I just write it down. Sometimes, sometimes as I'm reading, something new happens in Scripture because it's alive and active. And literally, there's a message, there's a devotion, there's a word of encouragement. There's something that I can send to someone, right? There's, there's a person that comes to my mind. You ever been reading the Bible and God brings somebody to your mind? You're like, I should pray for them right now. And, and, it, the, and relationship begins, begins to happen. And I, don't, I, I told you, I can't, I can't find a verse that tells you you have to do it. But, but there is a practical verse in Deuteronomy chapter 11. Watch what he says. He says, fix these words of mine in your hearts, in your minds, he says. He says, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Like, I, I don't know how that looks practically, uh, but figure it out. Some people I know have sticky-noted stuff. I love sticky notes. And they just, run, when when they, they just put a sticky note and they just put, put them on their bathroom mirror, put them by their bed, right? Put them in their car. Remind themselves of how they're supposed to drive on their dashboard. Do, do something, right, with, with the word of God. Watch, watch what he says. I love this. He says, teach them to your children. Talk about them when you sit at home, when you walk along the road. You notice how natural he begins to make this relationship? It just, the more you do it, the more it becomes part of your life. When you lie down and when you get up, you're, you're, you're doing that. Watch what he says. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. Some of you don't have a gate. And it'd be kind of weird to put it on your door frame. Just telling you, you'll probably be a weird Christian person, right? Uh, but you can find something practical to do. I'm going to write down. I'm going to let the Lord speak to me. I'm going to slow down. I, 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 I'm going to quiet down. And I'm going to write down. And here's, here's the cool thing about it. The more that you, you push into a relationship with the, with the living God... The more he speaks to you, the more he changes you, the more he shifts your life, the more he heals, the more answers he brings to your life, the more peace he brings to your life, the more trust you have in him because you know his voice. Like, it, what's amazing is the more time you spend in God's word, like right now, like I can tell you, I, I know when God's speaking to me. He's never actually physically spoke to me because that would be terrifying. And I don't ask him to. If he wants to, that's fine, right? But... I can, I, can, I can tell, like I know, okay, he's speaking right now, I'm not supposed to do this, I'm supposed to do, to do that, confirmation has, has come, you know, and it's just an amazing relationship that you get to have through the Bible, the infallible, inspired, never changing word of God. In fact, in fact, if you want to know how significant that it is, study how much work has gone into keeping it from you. Study it. Like the, the dark ages, you, you know the dark ages, you grew up in, in, in history, take history class, a, year, a span of about a thousand years. The reason the dark ages existed is because the Roman Empire, which was the Catholic Church, controlled the world. And one of the ways they controlled the world is they controlled the rhetoric of, of, of God's word. Here's what they did. They took every Bible that was translated in anything but Latin and they got rid of it. You know who the only people who understood Latin was? The priests, you ever go into a Catholic church, you're like, what the heck are you saying? Do you even know what you're saying, right? And so, and they controlled it. And here's what happened. Because they controlled it, people like you and me, we would come to church and we would say, tell me what God says. And they would go, let me just tell you. And they made stuff up. So around 1400, a guy came on the scene. His name was Martin Luther. He was a Roman Catholic priest. And he said, stuff's not right. He went in the Bible. He found 95 things that... 
the Catholic Church was not teaching the common man. They were lying to them. He nailed them to a, the doors of a, a church in Germany. Uh, history calls it the knock heard around the world. And he started something called the Reformation. It wasn't his goal in the beginning. His goal was to change the Catholic Church. But he started the Reformation. And part of the Reformation's goal was to get the Word of God back into the hands of me and you. And so people lost their lives. I mean, it's, a, it's crazy. You can go read about it. One of my favorite stories I learned in Bible college was a man named John Huss. It changed me. And John Huss translated the Bible, I think, into Germany. I don't, a German, I don't really remember that part of it. But all I remember is they were mad, the Catholic Church, because he gave it to the, in the common language. They found him. They put him on a stake. They took the Bible that he had translated into, into German, I believe. They put him on the bottom of the stake, and they used the Bibles as kindling to burn him alive. And, and, and the history of the church is marked with people like that, that put in the effort to get the Word of God into your hands. And so when you think about that, you think, to, you think to yourself, this must be an incredible tool that Satan doesn't want me to have. And now the sad thing is, it's just literally in the palm of our hands. And if you take out your, your little iPhones or your Androids or whatever you have, and you look at the, the hours you spent on the apps, you ever go to that app where it tells you how long you spent? Don't do it. It's convicting. And it'll say, you spent 16 hours a day on Facebook. And you spent 16 seconds a day on the Word of God. And you wonder why your life is falling apart. It's right there in the palm of your hands. It's almost like Satan said, okay, I couldn't keep it from them. So I'm going to make it so accessible that they take it for granted and it just sits without moving it. How, do, how does the word of God, how does it function? You listen to it and you do what it says. That's it. You listen to it. It's not going to change you unless you do what it says. Simple as that. You stand to your feet. Would you bow your heads and would you close your eyes? And I just, uh, I've been looking forward to this because I'm a, I consider myself more of an aggressive person. Some of you are more apathetic. You're more uh, passive. And so you enjoy the, the armor. Feels comfortable, feels, feels safe. And it's good. But I'm more aggressive. I want to go into the fight. One pastor said, I want to smell like smoke. I want to be so close to the gates of hell that you literally, you can smell smoke when you smell me. And that's just always been the dream, the goal of the church that I was going to pass. I want to pastor a church with people that are so on fire for the Lord, that are so obsessed with the mission of Jesus Christ, that are so changed, that people look at their lives and they, they literally, they, they, they're attracted to the people's lives of the, that go to this church, not because we're good or because of the way we look or because of how talented we are, but because of how changed that we are. They, they can't comprehend. I used to know that person before they started going to church, and they started going to church and having this, this so-called relationship with Jesus Christ, and everything about their life has changed. They found peace and joy and comfort and purpose, and it's so attractional because I'm so desperate. I want that. Tell me about Jesus. That's how it's supposed to work. That's why you're here. That's why you're still breathing. God doesn't save you to sit you somewhere, to put you on the sidelines. He saves you to send you. But I wonder how many of you are holding up God's destiny in your life because you're just a hearer. I wonder how many of us know the things we're supposed to do, yet we continue to live in our sin. 
simply because we feel like God is so far away. Eternity is not close. And so we're really comfortable with our sin, which is a really scary place to be at. Instead of hearing the word of God and saying, there's areas of my life I need to adjust. I need to change. I need to shift. There's things I need to do. There's conversations I need to have. There's, there's a decision I need to make. Not just to hear a doer of the word. That's a weapon in your hands. I love what it says in scripture. It says that the demons tremble and flee at the name of Jesus. It talks about the weapon of the name of Jesus. In John 1 it says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was made flesh, and the flesh dwelt among us. His name was Jesus. See the connection? Jesus is the word, and Jesus is our weapon. Jesus is the one who overcomes. Jesus is the one who wins the battles. Jesus is the one who defeats the strongholds. It's Jesus. It's the name of Jesus. The name above all names. The name by which all men and women may be saved. Jesus. And here today, you don't know him. I want you to know how much he loves you. I want you to know Montgomeryville that he came to die for you. That he gave up his life for you. And you're not a good person. We'll just be real honest with you today. Let's not play that. You know who you are. I know who I am. When we say we're a good person, it's because we're comparing ourselves to a worse person than us. But when you compare yourself to perfection, to a righteous, holy God, you're not a good person. And God could have left you in your mess and said, deal with your own sins. But the Bible says, while you were still a sinner, that Jesus Christ died for you. That he will meet you at your lowest, but he won't leave you there. He'll save you. He'll heal you. He'll forgive you. He'll restore you. He'll bring joy, unspeakable joy, and a peace that surpasses all understanding. He'll give you a reason to wake up. Because let's be honest, so many of us struggle with that. We struggle with our identities and the reason for living. We wake up every week and we wonder what we're on this earth for. There's a God that loves you and has a great plan for your life. If you would just trust him. Maybe you say, what does that look like? Do I sign up for your church? Do I join a class? No, the Bible says that if you believe in what I'm saying, that if you would confess with your mouth and you would believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you would be saved. That you would receive the grace of God, the forgiveness of God, the hope of God, and that he would come into your life and begin to do the work that only he could do. If you would just call on him. Jesus, I want a relationship with you. And so we're going to do that in this moment. Jesus is the one that changes. Jesus can heal you. Jesus can set you free. He's already finished the work. It's like a gift. You need to receive it. And so I'm going to ask you with a, a question. It's going to take a little bit of faith. And a whole lot of courage. And I love, I love to ask people this because I think how you start something determines where you go. I need to know Jesus Christ. I don't have a relationship with him. I've never received him as my Lord and my Savior, but I want to. I want to pray with you as we close, as we close, both here in Montgomeryville. I don't know Jesus, but I want to. I don't have a relationship with Jesus, but I need one. I want to lead you in a simple prayer of faith. Nobody looking around in this place, but I'm speaking to you. You can feel God literally knocking at the door of your heart. You can feel it. It's like he's be- your, your heart's beating out of your chest right now. You can't even believe it because you didn't really believe in God before you got here. But something is shifting in your life right now. 
and you need a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. If that's you all over this place, would you just shoot your hand straight towards heaven and say, hey, you're speaking to me right now. You're speaking to me. If you're in Montgomeryville, would you just hold your hand high and say, hey, that's me right now. You're speaking to me. I see a hand over here. Is there anybody else? I need Jesus to be the Lord of my life right now. I want him to come in and forgive my sins and set me free. I'm going to give you one more second. Maybe you missed that first chance. We're just going to begin to pray. And when we pray, it's like talking to your friend. That's it. Nothing religious, nothing, nothing long, no big words. Just Jesus, be the Lord and Savior of my life. Would you begin to pray with me? Lord, we love you. And we thank you for this day. And we thank you for your word. It's powerful. It's life-changing. It's healing. And it guides us. Lord, we're going to dive into it. Lord, we're going to be not only hearers of your word, but doers. Well, thank you in advance for what you're going to accomplish in our lives through our steps of obedience. Thank you for those that right now are responding to your son and the gospel uh, through a confession. Jesus, I need a relationship with you. I can't do life on my own anymore. And so would you come in and do what only you could do? Jesus, I believe you're healing me and you're making me whole. And from this day forward, I give you full control of who I am. I leave this place a brand new person. Lord, we love you, and we thank you for all that you've done here today and all you continue to do both in our lives and through us as a church. As we leave this place, we leave with our eyes fixed on you. We want to live for you. We want to speak for you. We want our actions to reflect you. Lord, when we work, we want to we work as if we're working for you and not man. Lord, in every area of our lives, we want to reflect your goodness, your grace, and your mercy. In Jesus' name we pray. Hey, one more time. Thank you for taking a few minutes out of your day to listen to our podcast. If you decided to give your life to Jesus after hearing this message or want to learn more about how you can join us in person, visit jrny.church for more resources or to find a location near you. Have a great rest of your day.